Book of Philemon, let's begin in verse 1. That's a good place to start a new book. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archibus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, uh, but how much more to you, but in the, f- in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that, that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we know you have great, wonderful plans for us related to this book and all these verses. We know, Lord, it blesses your heart that we're studying these things verse by verse, digging deep into your word together as a family. I thank you, Lord, that you have led us to to have this be our pattern because we want to be fashioned by your word, Lord. We're not interested in things that are not related to what your word says. We want your word. We want to build our lives upon your word. We want to be made more like Jesus. So would you use this book today as we study it verse by verse for your purposes in our lives by your spirit? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You remember when we went through what's known as the the prison epistles. Uh, We saw Paul incarcerated for the first time in Rome. To our knowledge, he was incarcerated twice. The first time is, is, is kind of the context here. Then later he was released, and that's when he wrote 1 Timothy and, and maybe other books. And then he was incarcerated and in, in, uh, he was in prison a second time at the end of his life. And that's when he wrote 2 Timothy, as we saw as we went through that book verse by verse. So the biblical order of how it's revealed in our Bible isn't in line with the chronological order of things. So here Philemon is, dates back to the same time as uh, the other, what's known as the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And also, this book Philemon was probably delivered to Colossae with this book because uh, this man Philemon, this man that, that Paul is writing to, lived in Colossae, and Colossae was a thousand miles from Rome. It's quite a distance. So he was a believer, this man Philemon. Uh, He actually hosted a church in his house, as we see in the passage. 
which means he was wealthy. To have a, a house big enough to have a church in your house, you have to have a pretty good, big house, even a smaller, a smaller church. But also he was wealthy because he was a slave owner. Now, God doesn't approve of slavery, but God spoke into the context of this whole situation that was going on because Christianity works in whatever environment uh, we find ourselves. God knew that slavery would end up go, not being the predominant way that things work in the world. I mean, it still exists today, uh, but it isn't the predominant way of, of functioning. A society functions like it was uh, back then. So uh, that's kind of who this, this man Philemon is. He's a believer, he's wealthy, and we're told also in the passage that Paul led him to the Lord himself. So he was the fruit of, of, of Paul's ministry. And, and we have no record of Paul ever being in Colossae, but this was likely in Ephesus where Paul led Philemon to the Lord. Now this man Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, and he uh, ran away from, from Philemon, and he took off, and he made it all the way to Rome, a thousand miles away. That's a long ways to go for anybody, especially in that day, but especially as a slave. But he maybe thought that Rome was more populated and he could get lost in the masses, so to speak. And so uh, he, he tried to get away. And uh, he also, as we're told in the passage, either stole some money or he stole some possessions. And likely that was to finance his getting over all the way to Rome and to help him, you know, somehow kind of get on his feet while he's uh, on his own and so forth. And so obviously leaving uh, as a slave was a heavy crime. You could be killed for that very easily. And also, if you uh, took off as a slave, if they caught you, most of them were, had a big F branded on their forehead. And it was for the Roman phrase, uh, uh, fugitivus fugitive. And that means a deserter. And so they put a big F on your forehead. And so that way everybody knew that you are, you are uh, a kind, the kind of slave that would take the risk of taking off. And so that was something that they had to deal with. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And that's a lot of slaves. And there were so many that they far outnumbered non-slaves. Just in the city of Athens alone back then, there were 21,000 Roman citizens, about 10,000 foreigners, but there were 400,000 slaves. Think about that. So many slave owners owned multiple slaves, and uh, that's kind of how things worked. And some of the slaves were slaves because they were part of a conquered country from Rome, and, and the, the Romans brought them back to to uh, Rome there, and they became slaves. And they, some of them, though, were born into slavery. And then some of them sold themselves into slavery to pay off debts and, and, and so forth. So there were many, many slaves. One, an average slave cost 500 denarii. And a denarii was a, was a working man's, like an average blue-collar working man's wage for one day. So it, it, would, it would take them 500 days or about a year and a half if they were to save everything to be able to afford uh, the average uh, slave. But some of them were very, very expensive, like you know, 50 to 75,000 denarii. And those were slaves that were more educated. You had physicians. You could have a physician uh, slave or you could have a, an attorney, or you could have professional kind of trained, educated uh, slaves, and that was very rare, but they, many people had uh, those types of slaves as, as well. And so that's kind of the context. These slaves were very much abused. There's a record of, of a slave uh, you know, spilling something in a home, and because of that, they, they, in front of all the guests, they were fed to, to wild animals. So that was the context. It was a very wicked situation. So Onesimus ran away to Rome, and somehow he came in contact with, with the Apostle Paul. We're not told how that happened. Now, you can imagine the conversation here. Onesimus, uh, Onesimus has ran you know, a thousand miles away. He comes in contact with Paul somehow. And in their conversation, he hears the gospel. Now, Onesimus uh, is open to the gospel. Maybe he had high hopes of a better life in Rome and, and saw all the wickedness there and just thought, this is not the answer. You know, maybe I, I didn't like being a slave, but look at all the, the, the wickedness in this culture and how people are slaves to this sinful behavior. And he had a level of openness. But somehow in the conversation, Paul finds out, you know, well, where are you from? Okay, you're from Colossae. And okay, you're a, a runaway slave. Who is your owner? Philemon. Philemon? You mean this Philemon? 
Yeah, this is finally. I led him to Christ. What? Talk about an open door. And it's God's sovereignty. God's going to work through this whole situation. So he leads Onesimus to the, to the, to the Lord. And, and now, Paul, he's trying to explain to him what's the proper thing to do. Now, how many of us know, once we come to know the Lord, there's such a thing as restitution that the Lord puts on our hearts. You know, you did wrong here. You did wrong there. You need to repay that or you need to ask forgiveness. And, and Onesimus, he ran away. And, and there was a proper uh, kind of protocol related to what uh, he should be doing and, and how he should spend his, his, his life because everything changed for him. Everything changed. Once he came to Christ, the spiritual eyes were turned on, so to speak, and he got to see the truth behind everything. He already wasn't impressed with Rome and the lifestyle of living in rebellion to, to God. He had received Christ, but now he says, okay, my life is not my own anymore. Now I'm a bondservant or I'm a slave to Christ. And that means he get, and I can't run from him very well. <laughs> How many of us know that from experience? You can run a thousand, more than a thousand miles away. He's always going to be there. So now I have a new master. And now ultimately this man isn't my master. He is in a human sense for, for, for now, but not in an ultimate sense. And now I have a new set of instructions here. And so Paul now is prompted by the Holy Spirit to write this, this man Philemon whom he led to Christ and try to work this out to where it's for everybody's best interest. And I, I, I stress everybody. For Paul's best interest, for Onesimus' best interest, and also at Philemon's best interest. Very important for us to see. So Paul is going to send uh, Tychicus, we're told that in, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, where he comments about Onesimus as a beloved brother. Paul loved this man. He loved him deeply. So Tychicus he's going to send with the letter of Coloss to the Colossians that we've already looked through and studied and, and bring this letter also to Philemon and deliver it. And so Paul has definite expectations about what Onesimus should do what related to what he's asking him uh, to do. And, and what's interesting about this is Paul, how Paul asks him to do it, as we'll see. Paul could have asked him a certain way or told him what to do. He doesn't do it. And, and, and there's, a, there's lessons in that. Also, there's lessons in looking at the parallels between Paul and Onesimus and uh, Philemon and how that, con how that works in our lives related to what God has us do with our relationship with God. Because Paul's going to be, he's an intercessor. He's a peacemaker. Onesimus is one that needs to be forgiven. That's, that's related to us in the Lord and for other people. But also we need to forgive, like Philemon needs to forgive. And so all these things have ramifications in our lives. And it's, a, it's great how you see God's sovereignty in the whole book because you see God's fingerprints all over this, uh, this, this, this situation. I mean, think about it. There's 60 million <laughs> slaves in the Roman Empire. And Onesimus is going to run into Paul in prison. And Paul had already led his master to the Lord. I mean, that's, God's all over that. And God is all over many of the situations in our lives in how he works. And so it'll be interesting to see. Now let's begin in verse 1. Paul says here, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Now, I want to start just by saying that through this passage, sometimes you'll hear people teach or read commentaries where they're, they're kind of accusing Paul of using manipulation and buttering up. Have you ever had someone butter you up? If you have kids, you know what that's like uh, sometimes. But you have someone butter you up and, and compliment you and, 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 and say all these things, flattery and, and, and so forth, to get something out of you. And there's people that say that Paul's doing that. I don't believe he's doing that. I think Paul is, is, is telling uh, Philemon the truth. And he's telling him these things not to manipulate him because he trusts that the Spirit's working in his life. The Spirit's working in our lives as believers. Paul knows that. And so he's not buttering him up, and so, so to speak, but he's telling him what he needs to hear. And he basically is saying people are watching. Uh, and that's important for us to, to know. But he, he begins, as Paul, is, and that's who he's writing to, and he says, a prisoner of Christ. He never starts an epistle by introducing himself as a prisoner of Christ. He mentions it in other letters, in his, in his prison epistles, but he usually starts with, I'm a bondservant of Christ, or I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, or something like that. He usually never 
Well, in fact, he doesn't ever say a prisoner of Jesus Christ in his introduction, but he does it. And, and the significance of that could be many things. But he's saying, look, I've obeyed the Lord, and this is, this is where God has allowed me to be. And God's will is difficult at times. And it leads places sometimes where we don't want to go. It's difficult, but it's always worth it. He's going to ask Philemon to do something very difficult. But by saying, I'm a prisoner, here, here, you're a slave owner, you're a wealthy man. And what I'm asking you to do is nothing that's significant in the context of what other people are going through. And so he says, I'm, I'm a prisoner of, of, of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, I don't know if you caught it, but he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ and not Rome. He's looking at it from God's perspective. He's looking at it through the lens of God's sovereignty. If you're looking at it through the lens of, you know, how man sees things, he would say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say that. He never says it in any of his letters. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. God is overseeing all of this. He's allowing it. He's already broken me out of prison many times. He could do it now if he wanted to. And even though I'm chained to these soldiers every four hours, they get a new soldier in there and I'm, and I'm chained to them. God's all over this. He says in another place, the gospel is not chained. And so don't feel sorry for me, but this is, this is the reality. And then he says to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Philemon had participated in, in, in God's work and, and he was. And he's saying, I recognize that and you're my friend, you're my laborer. He's not buttering him up, he's telling him the truth. He's sharing his heart. Very important. Then he says, to the beloved Aphia uh, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So uh, Aphia, church history says that that was his wife, his wife's name. And that made sense uh, because the, many times the wives in the house were, had practical charge over the slaves. They took care of them in a lot of managerial uh, ways and so he wants he wants her to have this letter read to her as well. I mean he wants to have her be the recipient as as well. And then uh, many people believe that that Archippus was her son, but he's also mentioned in in Colossians as well as a faithful servant. So Paul says I want him to hear this as well. But then also and this is not by accident and to the church in your house. Paul wants the entire church there in his house, to know that this man that they all knew, Onesiphus, uh, he was a different person. Because if he's going back, he needs to be restored. He needs to be, uh, because he's done something wrong. He's done something very wrong in leaving and stealing something or taking something. So he wants him to be restored, know that he's been forgiven by God. And it's very important that the whole body accepts him. Very important. It's not by accident, but it's also it's accountability for Philemon because now the whole church is going to know that Philemon is in a position to do something that God wants him to do and whether he's going to do it or not is up to him but but he's accountable now before the rest of the body we're accountable to the rest of the church we're accountable to one another when we do something right or we do something wrong it affects all of us in the body of Christ we all have a say in one another's uh, behavior and, and it affects all of us. We're accountable to, to, to not just God, but one another. Now he says, grace, he greets him, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a common greeting for him. Grace is always listed before peace because you can't experience the peace of God until you first experience the grace of God. And, and it was a common greeting. You'd say grace in the Gentile word, world. You'd, you'd say peace in the, in the Jewish world. He combines them together there. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as was his custom when he wrote a letter, he states who he's, who's writing. He says you know, to, to whom he's writing. And then he talks about what he's thankful for. And he says that in verse 4. He says, I thank my God making mention of you always in your prayer in my prayers this is interesting you you see paul talk about this a lot in his letters where he says we met, i mention i mention you always in my prayers and i don't believe he was exaggerating sometimes we say we're praying for you or we post something and say i'm praying for you and sometimes we don't pray we say we're praying but we don't pray and god wants us to be faithful if we're going to say we're going to pray we need to pray and paul is saying i pray for you, not just sometimes, 
Always. You're always in my prayers, Philemon. Again, he's not buttering him up. He's telling the truth. He's sharing his heart with him. And one thing that's noteworthy about verse 4, and I love this, is that he's praying always for this man, and this man is not in any bad situation that we're told. He's not sick. He's not struggling financially. It doesn't appear that anything's going wrong in his life, but Paul regularly prays for him. And that tells us that we need to be praying for one another, not just when we're struggling and we're going through a difficult time or there's problems. We need to be praying for each other all the time, even in great times. God's people, historically, especially in the scriptures as you read through the whole thing, they're, they're in the most danger when they're in times of prosperity. Why is that? Because we sometimes start depending on ourselves. We start thinking we don't need God. You go to the places that are the most affluent in this world, and those places are the most spiritually dead many times because the wealthy don't think they need God. And so they make decisions on their own. They don't take things to prayer. We're going to move here. We're going to do this. They never ask the Lord. They never fast and pray. They never pray. They just assume that this is what I should do, but they've never even prayed about it. It's because they have the resources to make changes. But you're at the mercy of, of you know, God related, which we all are. But I mean, when you sense that you're at the mercy of God in the sense of your resources or what you're going through, sometimes it's easier to be spiritual and to pray and be dependent upon the Lord. But he always wants us dependent upon the Lord, even when we're doing really well. So, so Paul knew that I need to pray for this man, even though everything's going well in terms of his circumstances, I need to be faithful to pray for him to, so he'll stay in the right place with his heart before the Lord, because that's important. We can leave those things really easy when things are going well. He gives the, 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 these praise reports about Philemon in verse 5. He says, hearing of your love and faith, which you, ha- which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, this word there, hearing of your love and faith, this phrase here is very significant because Paul has heard about Philemon's reputation all the way back in Rome. And he's heard how fruitful he is and how loving he is towards people. And notice he doesn't say some of the saints. He says all of the saints. You know, sometimes we're not necessarily drawn to certain people in the body of Christ. We don't have a lot of things in common per se. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be any less committed to them and, and, and available for the Lord to use us in their lives. We're supposed to have not show any favoritism. We're supposed to be loving to everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background is. You know, the Lord's given me a lot of vision related to outreach and reaching communities and going to the poor and going to those that are uh, addicted to drugs and hurting and dest- just destitute. And we have to be a place to where anybody can walk through those doors and they feel loved and they don't feel like anybody's looking down on them or that anybody feels like they're better than them. And I mean embracing them, not just a polite handshake and that's great, but I mean really showing them unconditional love and loving boldly. That's showing love towards all the saints. Very important for us to see. Then he gets more specific in verse 6. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The word sharing there in verse 6 is our word koinonia that we talk about. The word we translate fellowship, it really means to have in common, to share. That's the word that's, that's there. And so he says, you are fellowshipping, you are sharing your faith with other believers. I've heard it, I've heard your reputation, and uh, it's become effective. And, he, and notice he says, by every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The origin of every good thing, that every good spiritual thing that, that's in us comes from him. That's a good reminder for us. All the wonderful things that people get to experience because of our relationship with him, we can forget that that's because of the Lord. We can forget that that, God is producing that through our lives. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we can forget that because we're so used to how we are. We think it's kind of a natural thing. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing, an ongoing supernatural thing that is produced because we are uh, tapped into the, the Lord and he's producing fruit through our lives. He says in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Wow. Why does he say we have great joy and consolation? How could 
Why would he need joy and consolation right now? Because he's in prison. He's in prison. He's incarcerated. He can't see those saints in person. Remember in 2 Corinthians, he talks about my daily concern for the churches. On top of all the other things I go through, my daily concern for the churches. And anytime he hears about God's people being blessed and loved and refreshed, that, was, that brought joy to his heart in prison. That brought consolation to him. He knew that, that uh, uh, Philemon's love for, the, for God's people and how he was sharing all that he was and all that God had produced in and through his life, that that was being used to, be ref- to refresh the saints. And, and that blessed him. We need to be refreshed. And that happens through us loving one another and giving of ourselves to one another. And I say it over and over and over again. It's, it's in the word over and over again. What, what we're in the middle of here is not supremely for us. It's supremely for God and it's supremely for others. It's so easy in our culture to focus on ourselves, all about me. This isn't intended by God to be a bless me club. Even though God wants us blessed, he, know we'll, he knows we'll be blessed. He's delighted when we're blessed. He, but it's all for making disciples. And we're made into disciples as we focus on God and others. And God pours into our lives and we grow into maturity. But we need that refreshing. The world can't refresh us. Only God's people by the Spirit of God can refresh us in the context of being among one another. Very important. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and also now, or now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he says, therefore, what is he talking about? What's the therefore, therefore? He says, because you already have a pattern of loving people in the body of Christ and you refresh them, because of all of that, now you, I, I'm asking you for love's sake to do the right thing with um, uh, his former slave. And, and so he's saying, I, 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 don't, I could command you, but, and, and I don't want to have to command you, but for love's sake, I appeal to you to do the right thing. You know, sometimes with your kids, you lay out a situation or you create a scenario or you find yourself in a certain situation and you could tell them what to do. You could tell them what to do and they've heard you tell them what to do many times. But what you want for them is to come to the right answer and to act and do the right thing on your own, on their own. That's what starts to bless you. When you start seeing them do the right thing on their own, you don't have to tell them. They start caring for each other. They start being sensitive to to their siblings' needs or other people's needs. And they start doing the right thing because they absolutely love that other person or they want to do what's right. That's what blesses you as a parent. And so that's kind of what he's asking Philemon to do. Do the right thing. You already showed a, a great pattern of love already. Now continue to do that. And then he says, be as one as Paul himself, the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's saying, be, be like me. I'm a prisoner. He says, this is the second time he said it now in the book. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm sacrificing and I'm suffering because of doing the right thing, Philemon, for love's sake. I'm in prison because I love God. I'm in prison because I love his people. I'm in prison because woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Because it's all because of love. He's already, he's already written to the Corinthians at this point, saying, if I don't love, then I have nothing. So he's saying, I love and I love and I love and I love and it's ended, ended, you know, I've ended up in prison and you love me, you care for me, so now you do the right thing. And even if it costs you something, it's okay. It's not the worst thing in the world that's happened to you. Follow my example. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is, he's all the way down in verse 10 before he mentions his name. It's not by accident. He says all these things. He's having, because, you know, he's reading this for the first time. He doesn't know anything about Onesimus and all of, and all of this. 
And then he's reading it and he's reading it. The Holy Spirit's using those verses in his life and he's, his heart's being provoked to submit to whatever God wants. Yes, you know, I, I do love the body of Christ. I'm so thankful that it's, it's, a, it's a joy and a consolation of Paul when he's in prison. And so thankful for that and how God's changed my life. And now Onesim, Onit. I take my glass. Am I really seeing? Oh, wow, it really says that. Onesimus. My, wow. And he calls him my son? And he, Paul led him to Christ? Now, there's mixed emotions you can imagine going on in his heart. He's thankful as a believer he got saved, but he ripped me off. I lost a lot of money. And who knows what other implications occurred because Onesimus took off. So now he's conflicted, potentially. And he's now he's fighting with this now. He's already focused on all these things that the Holy Spirit's spoken to him now. Paul doesn't start off in the beginning of the letter talking about him on purpose. He knows. And he says, I've begotten while I'm in chains. He was, un- one- he was once unprofitable to you, but now it's profitable. You know what, uh, Onesimus, the, word, the name means profitable. Interesting. His name means profitable. So it's almost like a play on words here. He, he was once unprofitable, but now... He is Onesimus to you and to me. And, he, and, 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 and uh, Philemon loved Paul. It brought music to his ears to know that Paul was blessed in some way. He was done by um, this man that, that took off. So Paul led this man to the Lord while we, he was in chains. And now he says he's blessing me now. And now he's going to bless you. That was his intent. Because he says in verse 12, notice there, he says, I am sending him back. Return to sender. <laughs> uh, you therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Sending him back a thousand miles. Sending him back. Onesimus didn't have to go back. He submitted to whatever the Lord wanted at all costs. I mean, I'm sure he didn't come up with that idea first. I'm sure it was Paul, but we don't know that. But let's say Paul brought it up first. Ooh, that's a tough one to go back. Who knows what's going to happen to me? But you know what? My life is not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. My life isn't mine. I don't call the shots on my life anymore. And that's a good reminder for us. We're all bondservants to Christ now. He, He bought us. He purchased us. He redeemed us. We don't get just to make any decision that we want in this life. We have to bring those things before the Lord and pray and seek him and wait for him to speak to us and, and to lead our lives. He knows our, the right plan for us. Sometimes things look really good on the outside and we have all of our plans and our agendas and we have it all figured out. We haven't prayed or fasted. We have it, nothing. And then God says, no, that's not what I have for you. I have something else. I can't tell you how many times I kind of thought that something was going to happen one way related to my life and it went totally different. This church is a product of that. No plan ever to be a senior pastor. I wasn't repulsed by it. I was scared of it. The closer, closer I got to see what happens, the more I was afraid. And, and I never, ever thought about planning a church, especially in the Great Recession. I mean, none of this was our plan at all. But God had a great plan, and he's showed himself faithful. I'm so thankful that he got through my thick skull and those of us that left to, to, to be a part of what he's doing. But it, he gets to call the shots. And he gets to say what we're doing. And, and so Onesimus was surrendered to that. But he says, I want you to go back and you have to be received, Onesimus. He needs to receive you. And he's a brother. He has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. So he says, receive him. And notice at the end of verse 12, he shows how close he is to Onesimus. Paul, he says, my own heart. It's beautiful. I feel that way towards you. I feel you are an extension of my heart. And I mean that. And he loved this man, and he's saying, if you receive Onesimus, you're receiving me. And if you hurt Onesimus, you're hurting me. You're hurting my heart. What you do to him, you do to my heart, and you need to know that. Again, no manipulation. He's saying the truth. He's speaking the truth to Philemon, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf... He might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Now, Paul, you see Paul's submission here. Paul had plans for Onesimus. I'm sure he was bringing him food. I'm sure he was bringing him clothing. That's, that's how you got food and clothing in those prisons. They didn't supply you food. You had to get that from people that cared about you. 
And he had his own plans. He wanted to, to, to stay there. He wanted Onesimus to stay there, but God had other plans. Paul was submitted to the Lord. He knew that this was right and appropriate, this man go back, that God had a greater plan. So he was submitted to that as well. But he says, on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But then he says in verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. This is so important. Paul could have commanded him to do the right thing, as we saw. And many leaders will take that place, unfortunately, and micromanage people's faith and lord it over the flock and, 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 and uh, my, you know, usurp the Spirit's ministry in people's lives, connecting the dots for them. And they're happy to do that, sadly. But he wants them to do it, make the right decision for the right reason. And he doesn't want him to do his good deed by compulsion. How many times have people tried to get God's people to do the right thing by compulsion? by not trusting the Holy Spirit working in that person's life to do the right thing. We, our default setting is that we believe that you hear the Holy Spirit too and that you will do the right thing given the chance to do it so it doesn't rob you of the blessing of hearing God's voice and responding the right way with the right motive. But he goes, I'm not going to do the wrong thing and just assume that this is what's supposed to happen and, and not caring. I wouldn't have been loving for Philemon and he didn't want to lead uh, that in, in that example. So very important. Then he says, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. Wow. This is incredible here. He departed for a while for this purpose. You know, the Bible says that man plans the way he should go, but the Lord directs his steps. It's very important for us to know that. There's a way that we think that we should go, but God ultimately d d leads us and guides us. And he'll speak to us and he'll guide us. And, and, and Onesimus didn't have any idea what was going on when he left. It wasn't right that he left, but he left. And God took his actions and he used it for his purposes. And now this whole grand uh, plan is, and, and uh, God's intent and how he's taking advantage of all this is being used for everybody's benefit. Paul knows that it's for ultimately his benefit to lead Onesimus and Philemon in the right way. It's for Onesimus' benefit. He needs to make restitution. He needs to face that situation. He needs to be a blessing to Philemon. Philemon needs it because he needs to forgive. He needs to acknowledge that God works in certain ways and that he needs to forgive those that uh, uh, have done wrong and so forth. It'll be a witness to everybody that, that is, you know, knows of of the situation. And so in our lives, sometimes people wrong us. And God knows that that's not his plan, but he takes a situation and he redeems it. And then the last part of that whole situation is it, it's the kind of the ball gets put in our court to complete it the full circle, to do the right thing at the end of that situation. I don't know what situation I'm speaking to that it's in your life or what you're going through. But when things happen, when people don't do the right thing and, and then God works in that situation, takes advantage of it in their lives, when it all comes back around, we need to do the right thing and we need to forgive and we need to see God's uh, hand in the situation and do the right thing because people are, are, are watching. And he says in verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he says, now he's not just a slave, he's a beloved brother. And he's valuable to me. And he's, now he's valuable to you in two ways. He's, and he's more valuable in the spiritual sense now than anything else. And he says, if, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Again, not manipulation. He's just saying, That's, this man is, is just as important to God as I am. He's just as valuable to God as I am. And when and I'm sending him to you, you need to treat him as if you would treat me. Can you imagine Onesimus, you know, if he knew he was writing this, like, go, Paul, go. You know, I love this. Keep it going. Is there anything else that you can say that can, that can help me? I mean, I'm sure he's very thankful for it. And then we kind of see the gospel in verse 18. He says, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Put that on my tab just like the Lord Jesus. We owed a lot. We, owe, we owed a debt we could not pay. And, and he paid that debt that he didn't owe for us. And he said, put it on my account, put it on my tab. 
And Paul's saying, I'm standing behind this man completely because he is my heart. And if you forgive him, then you're forgiving what he's done and the wrong that he's done and the amount that he owes you. If you forgive that, you're forgiving me. If you're holding it to him, you're holding it to me. And just put it on my account. I'll take care of it. And, and then what's interesting there is in verse 19, he says, look, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. He says, it's me. I don't know if he wrote the whole, all 25 verses or just this one sentence. Usually, you know, dictated his letters and, and uh, someone would, uh, would write it down for him. He did it, but he says, look, it's my own hand. Not to mention to you that you owe me even for your own self besides. Now, again, no manipulation. He's saying, you, this is the truth. If, if what you hold against Onesimus or what you forgive Onesimus for is the same as doing it to me. Think about already what, how God's used me in your life. And you wouldn't have known the Lord without me. And, you know, God has a real uh, low tolerance for unforgiveness in his people. There's parables he gives. I mean, it's, he absolutely does not allow it at all in his people. Because he goes, in light of how much you've been forgiven, how in the world could you still hold unforgiveness towards somebody else? And so he's reminding, he's reminding Philemon, look, you've been forgiven by so much and God used me in your life for that. So it, it makes sense that you can forgive uh, Onesimus for, for what he's doing. And then he says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you, do, that you will do even more than I say. That's beautiful. Philemon had a track record of doing what's right. He had a track record of doing the right thing and being obedient. And now he's being asked to continue in that. And Paul has great confidence in the Holy Spirit's work in his life and in what God has already done in his life for him to do the right thing. And maybe, he's, maybe he means there, we don't know, but maybe he means at the end of verse 21 when he says that, knowing that you will do even more than I say, maybe he's talking about your, his freedom. Ultimately, that would be the best scenario as far as God's concerned. But we don't know if, if that's his intent or if he just, you know, bless him even more than what I'm writing. I'm telling to bless him a lot, but I'm confident that you'll even do even more than that. But he says, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. This isn't being pushy. You think, wow, Paul, <laughs> you know, you're asking all this. Is a, you know, all this forgiveness and, and doing more than what I'm asking. And then you're adding to that, hey, I want to stay at your house and I'm inviting myself over, you know. But that's how they did things. That's how they, they helped people that were in ministry that traveled. They didn't just have, you know, a Hotel Six on every corner or whatever. They, it, that's how the people stayed. They stayed in people's homes. And that was, they were obligated to do that. And, and he's saying, I want to come visit you. I love you. I care for you. You're a brother. And I want, I want you to prepare this room for me. And then he says, your prayers are powerful. Look at the last part of verse 22. I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. That's a good reminder about the power of prayer. If we all truly believed in the power of prayer, like God would have us, we'd be praying an awfully lot, an awful lot more than we do, including myself. I just have to say it afresh and anew. Prayer is powerful. And we need to be faithful and consistent and having prayer lists and battling <laughs> in prayer for things. We pray for things for years and years and years. And we still haven't seen answers to some of those prayers. Well, actually, we have. A lot of them are no. <laughs> That's an answer. No. Uh, or wait or whatever. But prayer, got, uh, Paul has been constantly praying for, him, for Philemon, but he knows that Philemon has been praying for him. And he says, my prayers that I shall be granted to you, I, I believe it will be answered. And it probably was, because again, he was going to be released for a time before he got imprisoned the second time. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer. So Philemon, everybody knows what I'm asking you to do. They're all greeting you. You know, you need to do the right thing. They're already doing the right thing. They're fellow laborers here. They're prisoners as well. You know, we, we saw Demas left later on. 
the demon loved this present world. So I told you that he's mentioned in Philemon when we saw that in Timothy. But Demas left. Luke, the physician that took care of his physical needs, he was with uh, Paul there. But they're all fellow laborers. Laborers. Sometimes we talk about ministry as the work of ministry because it's biblical. Ministry is hard work. You know, he told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest field. And sometimes we, don't, we want to do everything among God's people except work. <laughs> but it's hard work. It is. And, and God knows that it's a joy to work hard and to serve him and to be a part of what he's doing. No one ever is used significantly by the Lord that doesn't work, doesn't labor and work hard and, and to have our lives represent sacrifice. Jesus' life represented sacrifice. And in our culture especially, sometimes people have very low expectations regarding how, what God requires of us in serving in ministry. And we're all in the ministry. He requires sacrifice. He requires inconvenience. He requires us paying a price. If we don't pay a price to serve as people, then, then we're not serving like Christ served. Because Christ paid a price. Anytime you serve, you pay a price. And it's healthy for us to see that. God calls us to labor for him. Then he ends in verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And amen means that's the truth. So he begins with grace, as most of his letters do. Begins with grace and ends with grace. God's grace is the key to everything in our lives. And serving him and being used by him and, and loving one another, very important. He says, you need all the grace you can get, Philemon. So do I. And, and so do the right thing, but you're going to do the right thing because God's going to give you the grace to do it. Now there's, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, there's three people in this passage that we need to have le learn lessons from, and they're all important. Paul is a great lesson here of intercession because he's interceding for um, uh, Onesimus. And, and he's, he's a peacemaker. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So God calls us to be an inter, inter, uh, intercessor for people and also to be a peacemaker. And, and it's very important for us to be led by the Spirit related to that because each one of us has a certain place in the body of Christ and he wants to use us in a very specific way related to those things. So it's a beautiful example of Paul being a recipient of grace, and then now he's being an extender of God's grace in being an intercessor uh, and a peacemaker for God. Now Philemon also is, is important because he is a model of someone that needs forgiveness. He's a model of someone that came to God with all of his baggage and all of his sin and all of his imperfections and, and, and accepted God's forgiveness, and now there's a relationship where he needs to be forgiven. How many of us in this room have wanted to be forgiven by somebody, but somebody's holding back that forgiveness? Anybody here? Yeah, it hurts. You want to be forgiven. You've done the right thing. You've humbled yourself, and they won't forgive you. It hurts. And so that's, that's important for us to see, that God has grace for that situation. And he'll give us the grace to approach that person in the right way, give them the opportunity to do the right thing. And, and, and so we have to have that heart of wanting to, forgive, but also be someone that is doing the right thing and helping other people uh, forgive us as well. And then, and then Philemon is an example of someone that needs to forgive. And that may be some of us here in this room. You're holding unforgiveness for somebody. And I said, God has a very low tolerance for unforgiveness in his people because we've been forgiven so much. Philemon had a choice. Other people were watching. That's why Paul addressed this letter, not just to him. He could have done that. He could have just read it in the privacy of his own heart. He didn't. He wrote it to the whole church in his house and his wife and his other people. And then the people that were greeting Philemon and all the people that were in this letter, they knew the situation and he was accountable. And that's what we need to be in our context here, to be accountable to one another related to being a forgiving people. God wants us to be forgiving and to see God's hand in situations and go, you know, I was really hurt by that person. But I see God's working in the situation. And it may not be a situation where someone wasn't saved and now they're saved and now God wants you to be restored to them. Maybe they were already a Christian when they hurt you. But you've seen God work in their life. You've seen God work in the situation. And now 
God's calling you to do the right thing, to restore them. Maybe you've already forgiven them, but you haven't restored them to a certain relationship or something. He's calling us to do that. If he's leading us by his spirit to restore a certain situation, we need to be gracious. We need to recognize his hand in the situation, and we need to do the right thing because people are watching and people come to conclusions about God based on what we do or don't do. And there may be pain associated with it. There may be suffering, just like Paul was in prison because of doing the right thing. That's okay. God's, God knows that that kind of suffering and that kind of sacrifice is going to be a blessing to that person and be a blessing to us. So we have to submit to that. Sometimes forgiveness is tough. It's a hard situation. It doesn't mean we have to trust them again and put them in places where they can hurt us again, but we need to forgive them. Very important. So what's interesting about those three things as we close is that Jesus is all, relates to all three of those things, doesn't he? Jesus, the great intercessor, he's interceding for us right now. The Bible says he's making intercession for his people right now. He's interceding. He's a peacemaker. And when related to truth and the gospel, he divides in the sense of truth divides. But in terms of restoring relationships and forgiveness and being gracious, he loves to bring people back together. He does that all all the time. And he's also a great forgiver. You know, he's suffering on that cross and he says, Father, forgive them. So he's kind of doing both. He's interceding, but also he's forgiving at that time of, of, of the, what those Romans were doing, what mankind was doing uh, to him at that moment. He forgives us all the time, all the time, as we ask him to forgive us. But also in a, in a kind of an indirect sense, he's kind of has the same or understands kind of what Onesimus was going through in a sense. Because people have unforgiveness towards God. And people are mad at God, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And some people have to get through situations. And you think of just the tragedy in Connecticut. God didn't, God with the shooting there at the school, God wasn't causing that. That was wickedness of a man's choices. And and so those people may be grappling with that whole situation. And and it's beyond anything we could ever comprehend probably in this room. But but, uh, God didn't do anything. And there may come a point where they have to recognize if they're mad at God and, and thinking that they need to forgive God, so to speak. There may come a point where they realize that it wasn't really God that was involved in that at all. And so even though God didn't do anything wrong, he knows what it's like for people to hold things against him, even though he's innocent. Onesimus wasn't innocent. But it's even more painful when you're innocent and people have unforgiveness towards you. And so God knows all about that. So maybe you're in that situation Or maybe you will be in that situation, or I will be in that situation. It's good to tuck these things that the Lord has in his word in our hearts, even if we're not going through certain situations, because in the the future we we may. So very important for us to see it. So you didn't think I could do it? I could uh, do a book all in one, but, you know, there's hope for me. And, uh, you know, Jude, well, might be another one. You never know. We might make it in one week. I don't know. There's hope for me. I'm, I'm glad that you agree. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for these lessons. Help us to be a forgiving people. Help us to be gracious and recognize how you're at work in people's lives and work at restoring, work at being peacemakers, work at being uh, uh, people that are quick to forgive. And I pray for anyone here that's struggling with forgiveness for someone. I pray, Lord, that you would help them by your Holy Spirit to not just do it one time, but continuously forgive that person when the need in their heart arises to do so. I pray you'd help them to do that in light of all that you've forgiven them, Lord. Help us to be a forgiving, loving people. Help us to walk in unity with one another and be a blessing to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.